Um, so as you know, or as you may not know, um, we've been work, working through a series called The Church You've Always Wanted, uh, really to look at what are kind of seven or eight uh, marks or like key, key markers of what a healthy church community would look like and can look like. Uh, so we talked about last month uh, being a community unlike any other one that's around. Because uh, if you want to be a church that you've always wanted, you want people to want to come. Uh, and so uh, knowing that being a, a community of, of like-minded believers heading in the same direction uh, is a great marker of that. Um, and so we, we kind of progressed into this month knowing if we are all gathered together and trying to foster those relationships and friendships uh, that the world would see as different, then we have to be attuned uh, kind of to our own hearts uh, and the hearts of those around us to, uh, to even know how to act uh, in those scenarios. And so um, I'm terrible at that, so I asked my friend Megan to do it because um, she is a counselor and has figured it out. So. Um, Megan is a dear friend uh, to me and my wife and our family. Her husband, Evan, is, is a wonderful man. Uh, he's a pastor at Midtown West. She's a therapist with Made and Matter. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I used to just say Will Mooney's Place, but then they changed her name. <laughs> Mooney's Place. It was a great place to get <laughs> counseling. I go to Mooney's Place. Guys, it's funny. <laughs> you guys are so sad. You're healthy. I love it. Uh, and so she works with Will, um, but we has graciously donated her time to us. If we have any nurses in the house, she might go into labor, so um, we can deliver a baby. <laughs> Just keep your gloves handy. Keep them handy. Don't put them on, but keep them close. Um, yeah, so Megan, come on. Um, someone did say to me, like, what if your water breaks when you're up there? And I was like, that's probably the worst thing that could happen tonight. Um, but yeah, please be gracious with me as I adjust, adjust to this. Um, but yeah, my name is Megan McCarthy. Before we jump into anything today, I just want to introduce myself. Like Daryl said, I'm a therapist here in town. Um, I really love my job. I work with men, women, couples, um, really with the full gambit of issues, but I love working with like anxiety and trauma and addiction um, and styles of relating. So it's really fun to get to translate that into a talk with y'all today. Um, yeah, obviously I'm a mom. I'm a mom of two girls. One is two years old. Her name is Ellery and she is just such a joy. Um, and then my second daughter that I'll meet here in a few weeks, hopefully not tonight. Um, and yeah, just to really get in my own body, because this is not what I do, um, and embody what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, I just want to show up authentically with y'all and say that there's a, a big part of me that's pressuring myself to, to stand up here and perform for you all, um, because there's a part of me that, that wants y'all to like me and wants y'all to think that I'm competent. Um, and really, I want y'all to walk away having learned something. Um, and I don't think that any of those desires are like particularly bad, but the truth is that I'm really tired and I should probably be bedridden at this point. Um, and I, it, but instead I was like, let's do a speaking engagement. Um, and yeah, I can only do what I can do. And I wanna be okay with that tonight and be present with y'all instead of being so preoccupied with my anxiety um, and trying to put on a show. So 
just to give you like an idea of what tonight's going to be like, I'm just going to give you like a pot of information, um, and then afterward we'll save time for Q&A. So please like ask questions, challenge me, whatever. Um, I really like that portion of these sorts of things. Um, and then I'll also like have one or two questions during the talk just to ask you to pause and reflect because I don't want it to be like, I heard some things, but I left not thinking about myself at all. Um, and one last disclaimer before we get into things is that, yeah, we're talking about emotionally healthy relationships and that's a really big topic. Um, and I found myself as I was writing this being like, oh, I want to talk about this, 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 this. Um, but we just don't have time for that tonight. And y'all know that relationships are so complex. So I just want to say for our purposes tonight, I'm not going to be talking about cases of abuse or manipulation or your childhood relationships with your parents. Not because I don't want to, but the rules just kind of change there. Um, and I don't want you to be, I don't want you to hear me saying things that I'm not saying about how to engage in those sorts of dynamics. Um, so we're going to be talking about like everyday, run-of-the-mill relationships, your friends, roommates, small groups, um, coworkers, community group, etc. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's jump in. And if you have questions at the end, like please feel free. Um, I'm an ummer. I'm sorry, y'all are y'all probably noticed that I'm going to say um like a hundred times. So yeah, as I was thinking about like why does this matter? Because I feel like. We're just so oversaturated with information every day. Like, why does this? Why is this something that we should like think about and integrate into our lives and our prayer lives and our community? Um, I was thinking about how this matters because God created us to be relational. Um, the first thing that wasn't good in creation was that man was alone, and so we're made to experience rich community with others. But our bent is to not do that because our hearts are so distorted. Um, and we're not made to live individually, though our culture often um, encourages that. But if you're not emotionally healthy, you can be around a lot of people, but you can really truly be alone because you don't know yourself and you don't know how to let yourself be known by others. Um, and that obviously goes against how God created you to be and to thrive. So this matters because your relationships will be enriched if you lean into what we're talking about tonight. And you'll get to journey toward living in the fullness of relationships that you were created for. And um, Jesus was obviously the most emotionally healthy person to ever exist, and we are being transformed to look more and more like him. And so to talk about and to care about sanctification is to, to care about emotional health. Um, and lastly, if you've been around Midtown for some time, this is one of my favorite things about Midtown, is that they see us as holistic people. Um, and we as a church believe that it's impossible to be spiritually mature without also being relationally and emotionally mature. So let's talk about emotional maturity today, but no, we're also talking about spiritual maturity. maturity. Um, so yeah, I'm about to ask you to like pause and consider yourself. Um, because emotional, when I say emotional intelligence, I feel like we all kind of know what I mean. That's common vernacular. So I want to capitalize on that, and I just want you to like take a quick moment and pause and close your eyes um, and just self-assess where you feel you fall in the category of emotional intelligence and your relationships if you were to rate yourself. So very moderately, or do you recognize that this is an area you could grow in? Thank you. 
And I know you all know, like wherever you just rated yourself, we could all grow. I'm certainly not up here because I have it figured out. And in writing this talk, I was like, ooh, I need to like repair, like make some calls or talk to my husband. Um, and I'm sure you're like me in that the more God sanctifies me, the more I see the chaos and um, yeah, the chaos in my own heart and how I'm bent in ways that are unhealthy and how I bring so much of that into my relationships. And I just long to be the whole integral person that God made me to be, and this is a part of that. So let's talk about what I don't mean, because like I said, it's common vernacular, so I think we probably have some baggage attached to this, this idea of emotionally healthy relationships, because um, I don't want to give you guys the wrong idea. So engaging healthily in relationships means that we do not have this one-sided, others-focused process where we get to decide um, when a relationship is too much or when a person is toxic and then just dip out. I see that a lot. It's just like I get to decide and I get to be the Lord over when I choose to engage and not engage. Um, and I'm not saying there's not a time to step back or have boundaries or redefine a relationship, but the concern here is just the very other focusedness and not taking the time to pause and, and be suspicious of yourself and what you might be bringing to the, to the relationship. Um, it's also not one-sided on the other hand in that you have this martyr mentality where everything's your, your fault and you take responsibility for that which isn't yours to take responsibility for. I, um, I know this woman who is like so humble and, and sweet in relationships that anytime there's any sort of conflict, she's just like, oh, I'm the worst. Like, God has so much work to do with me. Like, I'm not surprised that we're here. And that's like, her humility is very endearing in a lot of ways, but I think it also cuts her legs off because that's not the whole story of what's happening. And by just eating that without like engaging in the whole story, she's preventing that relationship from growing and being challenged. Um, yes, so don't be one-sided in thinking others are always or even usually the problem. And don't be one-sided in not considering what other people are bringing to the table. And I, I want to talk about boundaries here, too, because um, I think boundaries are so good and so healthy. But the more I do this work, the more I realize that we mean a whole like bunch of different things when we say boundaries. So emotional health in relationships is not weaponizing the use of boundaries as a way to keep people out and protect yourself, or sometimes as a way to like sort of punish people. Um, yeah, boundaries have somehow become this thing to keep people out when really, in a, when done in a gospel-centered way, boundaries are a way of pe keeping people in your life without resenting them. It's a way of saying like, hey, something's happening here that's not good for you, for me, for us and I love you and our relationship enough to say like, this has got to stop. So boundaries aren't a way to keep people out, they're a way to keep people in without resenting them. Sorry y'all, I like, this is so weird. Um, yeah, and lastly, I'll just say, just to, to package up the, the baggage portion is, I see this in Christian circles and I just think it's such bad advice and that is not addressing things that need to be addressed under the guise of forgiveness and just being like, well, I, like, it's okay, like we all mess up. Um, and obviously we don't need to address every single thing in relationships, that would be exhausting. Um, but forgiveness is not the same thing as brushing things under the rug that are having an impact on the way that you feel in that relationship. 
And if you do that, really nothing's going to change for your relationships. So um, baggage out of the way. Um, for, for our purposes tonight, I want to just... For, I want us to understand emotional health as the ability to stay connected to ourselves while staying connected to others in relationships. So you're connected to yourself while being connected with others. And being connected with self looks like two things. Um, it obviously looks like self-awareness, the you know general ability to know what you feel and how you feel it, how you're being impacted by people around you, and um, yeah, what's being brought up inside of you. And it's also being able to regulate and manage when those things are coming up. So, you know, when you're feeling whatever you might be feeling, you're able to not avoid it, and you're also able to not be taken on like an emotional roller coaster ride. Um, but you're able to like regulate and come back to it and give it the time and attention it deserves and to know what you need in that. Um, so, being connected to self and being connected to others. So, others is just having a social awareness. I don't mean being like so obsessed with how people are perceiving you, but having a general idea of how you impact others around you. And being able to be op open and vulnerable in relationships. So you're able to step into other people's worlds and emotions, and you're able to share yourself honesty with honesty and depth. And this makes sense, right? Like this is how we were created. We weren't made to be alone. We weren't made to be individual. I was created to be connected to who God made me as an image bearer. Um, and I was meant to be connected to other image bearers that he's put in my life. And so emotionally unhealth, emotional unhealthiness in relationships happens when one of those things is distorted. I'm either at the detriment of being connected to myself because I'm so enthralled with other people um, in my own, yeah, in my own story um, because I'm so enthralled with other people or I'm so preoccupied with myself that I'm blocked from connecting with others. So this is where I kind of want to like slow down. And these are the two, if there's a spectrum, these are kind of the ends that I see people falling on a lot of times. Um, so yeah, on the one side of unhealth is you staying connected to yourself at the expense of relationships. And so as I kind of read these like characteristics or common things that I see, I'd like for you to just consider like, is that me? Do I do that? Think about significant relationships in your life. And they're not all going to apply, um, but I hope some of them will if, if this is where you fall. So this side of unhealth, staying connected to yourself at the expense of relationships, feels very like protective and avoidant and withdrawn. This may look like the tendency to be alone for longer periods than you know is good for you. And I'm not talking about like rest or being an introvert. Like I mean shutting people out by either physically not being around them or being around them but not, but like gatekeeping yourself because you're not engaging emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. It also may look like being around others, but having the expectation that it's other people's job to draw you out. Like it's other people's job to, to do the journey of coming and being like, hey, who are you, what's going on? Um, instead of meeting them and sharing yourself freely. Because obviously we want that in a healthy relationship. Like you want to be interested and curious in one another, but it's not other people's job to, to get you to share and show up. Um, it may look like you getting to a point where a relationship is too hard, and we kind of talked about this earlier, and deciding that people are toxic. Don't love that word, but I know that that's common. 
um, and just being done with them. Again, remember, I'm not talking about abuse or manipulation, um, but normal run-of-the-mill relationships. And I just don't like this one because, you guys, I've got to say, like, looking more and more like Jesus in your relationships does not look like you deciding when people are too much and then exiting. Um, it's avoidant toward others because you're not leaning in with love and giving people the opportunity to learn how they're impacting you and to repair and grow. And it's avoidant toward yourself because you're not, if you're sitting here being like, they're toxic, I'm out, you're not taking the time to um, lean into all the baggage that you bring to the dynamic and asking God, what about you? He's bringing to the surface through this relationship. And of course, y'all, like, there's wisdom. And I, it was hard for me to write this because I wanted to nuance every little thing because I wanted to be like, when I say this, I don't mean this. Like, I don't mean that you can't ever step out or I don't mean that there aren't some people that are toxic and you need to cut out of your life. Um, so there's wisdom and how to walk that out. And we can integrate that at the end if y'all like. But I, I just do want to get at the caution of like, please be suspicious of yourself. Like, please take time to, to wonder what God's doing inside of you and, and why you feel so strongly about this person. Because I promise it's not all them. Um, yeah, and I know it's, it's, easy, it's easier for it to be the other person. Um, to avoid and shut people out, especially when you've been hurt repeatedly, it's just easier to be like, I can't do this again. Like, I can't. It's just too much. Um, relationships are tiring, and I don't always want to press into the hard or the conflict, but it is what we're called to as believers and what's best for us in relationships. So, on this end of the spectrum of the push-pull, think avoidant, protected, withdrawn, Essentially, it's, it's you not giving relationships the space in your life that God intended them to take up. And now we're going to go to this side where I see people kind of airing. And this is connecting with others at the expense of staying connected to yourself. And truthfully, this is kind of where I decide that I err on more. So as I was writing this, I was like, ugh. Um, so yeah, this might look like these words might sound extreme, so again, it's, there's a spectrum, but this one might look like sacrificing or even abandoning self to stay connected with, us, with others. And it can be really hard to break because it's often celebrated um, because on the surface, you look like the really, really, really good friend, the person who really, really cares about others, who's always there for other people, really good at seeing people and stepping into their pain, um, you might be a two or a nine on the Enneagram. You are helpful and kind. And those are all good things, right? Like, those are all things that we should strive toward. But what people don't know is that you're doing that from a place of disconnection with yourself. So it could look like people-pleasing or being codependent, which is I'll be what you need me to be and want me to be so that we can make work. And um, it's also... It's also, um, I'm not okay if you're not okay. So I, I need you to be okay, not because I'm like so concerned about you, even though that's a part of it, but I cannot be okay if you're distressed. I cannot be okay if you're suffering. And so I'm gonna step in in this really powerful and beautiful, but dysfunctional way because your chaos brings me chaos. Um, it looks like saying yes, even when you don't have capacity 
It looks like not knowing your needs and desires in relationships. It looks like not speaking up when something is hurtful to you and it matters, not every little thing, but it matters. It could also look like always being with others and staying so plugged into relationships as a way to avoid what's going on with you. I have a really good friend who does this and she always says, I love that she's so aware of this. She says, the more social engagements that I have, the more people that I'm hanging out with in a day, the worse I'm doing personally because she, she just hangs out with people to like numb her own pain. But it looks like she's like the most extroverted, social, wonderful, engaged person. But really she's just disconnecting from herself. Um, so yeah, this side of it is, in essence, not giving yourself the space that you were meant to take up in relationships. And this is something that you take from yourself. This isn't something that other people take from you. Um, so yeah, again, just take a moment and think which one of these apply to you if something like jumped out at you and you're like, dang it, that's it. emotional health and we only have a few more minutes left so I'll try to wrap it up but um, being emotionally healthy in relationships looks like being able to connect with others while you're connected um, with yourself and not losing one or the other it looks like not anxiously managing the relationship it looks like being able to share hard things both that you recognize in yourself and that you recognize in other people with discomfort, of course, like it's never comfortable to have those conversations, but not with fear that relationship is gonna crumble if you step into the hard conversations. It looks like being able to step into other people's pain without feeling the need to rescue them because people don't need to be rescued. People need you to be present. It looks like being suspicious of yourself first when things start to feel off or unbalanced or you start noticing yourself be triggered not to say that they aren't bringing things, but just start with yourself. It means knowing the darkness and distortedness in your own heart that you bring to your relationships and wanting to address it. <clears throat> not pretending like it isn't there or not even caring to take the time to wonder what might be there and what God is trying to show you. It looks like being able to risk being seen and known even when it's hard and you don't want to. It's knowing what's yours to carry and what's not. It's knowing how you impact others and how they impact you. And it's being able to repair well when inevitable rupture occurs. There will never be a relationship that you're in that there's not gonna be some sort of rupture, some level of hurt. Um, and I think health and holiness looks like being able to repair when that happens, not doing everything in your power to make sure that it never happens. And like I said, y'all, relationships are so complex, so it's so many things, and we can't name them all, but it's such a good place to start 
asking yourself, like, what's preventing me from being my whole integral person around other, like, image bearers that God's calling me to. So, yeah, emotional health is just having the wisdom and the freedom to own your agency, because you take this from yourself. Other people don't take it from you. To choose to be present with yourself and to be present with others simultaneously, not to sacrifice one for the other compulsively. And I will say, like, emotional health is not something that you can do alone. It's something that you need a lot of, of caring people who know you to, to walk into this with you. Um, but that's not going to happen if you haven't invited people to that conversation to say, like, hey, I know that there's a lot happening here, but, I, like, I've got to say that I see something in you that you're not seeing. Whenever I, um, whenever I have some sort of breakdown in relationship or rupture or, you know, I notice myself getting really angry and all the things that I get and I just want to dip out, I'm always asking, like, a few trusted friends and family members, like, okay, this is what I'm seeing that they're doing and I hate them for it. This is what I see myself doing and I hate myself for it, but I know I'm missing so much because I, I just can't see it all. Like, what do you see that I'm doing that I'm not seeing? because I want to learn, even though it hurts. Um, I want to grow and I want to learn. And yeah, and if you do this, I, I, really, I really believe, because I've experienced it myself, like the more you lean into your own darkness, because we have the light, the more you'll be able to freely enjoy your relationships and be known and know others, and to become a person of integrity that presses in when God is showing you things about yourself um, so that he makes you more like him. So yes, there's so much I want to say, but um, I don't want to overload. And, and like I said, I don't, this isn't like my comfort zone is to be up here and talking at you guys. So please challenge me. Let's, let's dialogue if y'all like that and see if we can like apply this to, to real life or if something isn't making sense, like please let me know. Thanks y'all. Hey, Megan. Daryl Jones, assistant pastor. Um, how does one practice being present? Like, if I don't know, say, uh, hypothetically, I don't know what that means. <laughs> hypothetically? Yeah. How would one begin to practice that? With yourself? Yes. How do I practice being present with myself if I don't know how to do it? I think the first thing is that you have to create the space in your life to feel the discomfort of not being present, right? Because we have so much at our hands to, to stay busy and stay overstimulated. And so I think just forcing yourself, if it, if it is at that level, like forcing yourself to just be alone with your thoughts and just notice the discomfort would be the first step. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Um, if we are noticing these things about ourselves, like if we're, I was just telling my professor that I had a huge fight with one of my coworkers today, and um, so like I'm aware of a present situation that's really tense. Um, what are some like great next steps I can take for like dealing with that and um, just add on like taking that 
So how to, sorry, it's helpful for me to reflect back. So you're aware that like you're feeling triggered. It was a hard conversation. You probably don't want to go back in, but you know you need to go back in, or maybe you don't have the choice to not go back in. And so how do I go back in with wisdom and emotional health? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I definitely, and I think you're doing this, but I think I definitely want you to take the time to to slow down and process, like, what was that like for me? What just happened? Um, without having any sense of, of what went down, it's going to be hard to know how to move forward. But I think when you're thinking about engaging in that conversation again, um, what would I do? I would want to know, like, what's my tendency? Is my tendency to come in here and, like, fight and make you feel the way that you made me feel? Is the tendency to shut down and just pretend like nothing happened or um, to try to fawn your way out of the conflict, you know? So that when that happens, because it probably inevitably will happen when you get back in that space... You can notice it coming up in you, and you can just either be like, you know what, I actually need a moment. Like, I'm, I'm feeling myself, like, disconnect. You don't have to say all that, but just saying, like, I, I need a moment because something's happening in me where, where I'm spiraling, and there's just not a way for us to continue healthily in this conversation. Or, you know, sometimes, depending on the situation, we don't have a choice but to lean into our dysfunction and you just have to kind of learn that way. Like the more you are aware that you do X, Y, Z, whatever we said tonight, like whatever your tendency is, like sometimes you just have to be like, I feel the pressure to do this. I'm going to do it and then hate it after it happens and, and doing that more and more will make you crave growth and health, I think. You mentioned the two things. You mentioned um, more for the extra. It's easy to numb yourself with social interaction. Yeah. Which is really easy to do at Nashville, I think. Yeah. And uh, you also mentioned the importance of having kind of like a team around you mm-hmm. to, to kind of work on your, your emotional illness. Mm-hmm. If you're in that pattern of uh, leaning into just social numbness, mm-hmm. how do you create space for those relationships that are more mm. invested and kind of trusted people. Can I ask you a question back? Would that feel exposing? <laughs> um, do you feel like you have those relationships in your life, but you're not choosing to go there with them? Or do you feel like you don't have people in your life who could go there with you? Because that's a very different scenario. And you don't have to answer. <laughs> I think I, my guess is there probably are those people in my life mm-hmm. that would go to that level of me. Yeah. I haven't maybe identified it or created a space for it. Yeah. So you have, your guess is that you have the people, but you haven't risked to know. 
I'm sorry. I feel like I'm calling you out. Um, I just wonder what it would be like if you shared that with those people and said, and, tr- and you know, tried to see if they were the kind of people who could go there with you. Because um, I think when, when, you make, when you expose yourself like that and be like, hey, I love being around you, and it's a way for me to numb, sometimes just exposing yourself makes you and the other person aware and helps you to not do it. Um, and I also think it's, that's one of those things, again, where you just have to practice it. And when you're with people, being like, am I, I just want to, like, do a quick check-in. Am I numbing or am I, am, what, am I, what might I be avoiding? Am I numbing here or am I here because I'm a relational person who loves to be around other people? And when you are with other people, just trying to share parts of your story, parts of your day, things that are going on in your life. Um, because it's not just going to come one day, you know? Like, you've got to try and risk, and hopefully it'll get more comfortable and you'll like it. Thanks for letting me ask you questions, Bye. Thank you. I have a question. Yeah. So I resonate very, uh, very much, just to be fully honest. Wait, uh, say that again. I'm so sorry. I didn't hear I, I resonate very much with the avoidant yeah. uh, tendencies. Yeah. And... <laughs> A lot of that is informed by previous experiences with people, my own struggles, and that allows open doors for bitterness to yes. kind of take root. So uh, it's kind of a two-part question. What, as someone who could externalize avoidance that struggles with bitterness, how do you learn practically to undo that? Because this person wants to engage myself. I, I'm talking about me. <laughs> I want to be helpfully engaged with the community. That's been a desire of mine for a very long time. Yeah. How do I helpfully engage uh, with community by undoing that bitterness practically, both individually and while engaging with community? Yes, I love that because it's two part. Um, I think you gotta go to those stories of hurt and stories of bitterness and grieve and name and and have someone else be a part of that and grieve with you because you're just gonna we we carry it with us we carry our stories with us and it informs our relationships today so you my hope would be you don't have to my hope for you would be that you would with a kind person, trustworthy person, go to those stories of harm um, and grieve and lament that that happened. Because, yeah, relationships are, have such a high capacity for like beauty and glory and such a high capacity for harm. And it's, it's devastating when that happens. Um, and so it makes sense that you have, you're now avoidant, right? Like it makes sense. So I hope that you can be kind to yourself in that way. Um, so yeah, re, you know, revisiting those stories and, and asking that God would, would heal and bring light and redemption to those. And again, my same question to the hymn is like, and I'm not going to ask you, but do you have those people? Because you don't want to, when you're like healing from traumatic relationships, past hurt, whatever you would call it, um, 
you don't then want to turn to another person who's going to do the same thing to you. Not that you always know that for sure from the get-go who that's going to be. But, you know, choose someone or people you've had enough interactions with, you've seen in enough circumstances, conflict, whatever, that they're trustworthy to, to risk, like, to risk sharing. One of my favorite things that clients say is, like, I, I don't trust you right now. Like, I, I don't trust you and I don't want to tell you this, but I'm going to. Because I think that that's it, right? Like, the way that we grow and heal is by risking to trust. So, yeah. Thanks for asking. Oh, yeah. So sorry. I was thinking. <laughs> hey. I'm like, let's... Uh... What scriptures do I meditate on when I think about emotional health? I don't know that I am like, this is my meditation when I'm thinking about emotional health. <laughs> but I'm like a big, like the Psalms are like it for me. Because I feel like the Psalms are, are just one of the most raw and honest um, and healing and beautiful books of the Bible. Not that we can rank them, but um, I think that there's just like an honesty and a depth and a longing for more in the Psalms that really resonates with me when thinking about emotional health. And one of the things that I like love so much about the Psalms is that they're grieving toward God. They're angry with God. They're sad with God. They're joyful with God and, you know, experiencing wonder and delight with God. Um, so yeah, probably the Psalms. Um, sorry, I have a question. Yeah, go um, ahead. What if you feel like you know what the emotionally healthy thing to do is, but anxiety won't let you, or mm. like it just sort of gets in the way so then like relationships become damaged because you're not able to like do the emotionally healthy thing? Because you're too anxious. Mm. Can I ask a question back? Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're like, I'm anxious. And I'm like, can I call you out? <laughs> That's so cruel. Okay, I won't, I won't do that. Um, what do you do? Correct me if I'm mishearing. What do you do when you know what the emotionally healthy thing to do is, but you're too anxious to do it? And you also said, like, and relationships end up suffering because of it. Oh, I really like that self-awareness. <laughs> I have so many questions. I'm really trying to be kind to you. Um, and not ask. Because I don't want to not answer it. But I'm going to lean into the vagueness. Um, there's something... I say this as a person with too much anxiety. Like... There's something, there's some role that anxiety is playing there. And 
it sounds, it sounds like it's like hijacking you and taking over. Um, and so I think I would just want to sit with that for a long time and be like, why? Why does this happen? Why does anxiety have so much control over me? And where along the way did I decide to consent to that? Um, not that I, you're waking up and being like, I want to be anxious today. But I've walked with my own anxiety long enough to know that like, it's also a way for me to cope in a way. Because I can, if I can be anxious, I'm talking about myself, I'm not talking about you, but if I can be anxious, then I don't have to, I don't have to press into the like discomfort and the fear. Um, but in that, I also hear so much like longing. Like I have the emotional awareness to know, and I have the emotional awareness to know that like this isn't working for me, and I want something different. But there's like a lot happening, um, and bring others into that too. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question about just like personal emotional health. Like one thing okay. I noticed with emotions is that like for me, I either have the tendency to bottle them all up mm -hmm. or to just like like dive in and just wallow. And yeah. It's like the binge purge cycle yeah, of emotions. Yeah. So like, I guess my question to you would be like, are there any steps you or anyone really can take to kind of keep that in check to be able to like experience your emotions, like not deny them, but also not let them control you. Can you say that last part one more time? Yeah, like are there any steps that, or like scriptures that you go to or just like- You didn't have to say that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's implied. Uh, yeah. Just like, I don't know, making sure you're managing your emotions in a healthy way. How to manage your emotions. Yeah, I'm sort of hearing like, I'm, he I'm hearing a lot of like chaos and a desire to bring order to chaos. It, like seriously, once again, I say that as a person who also has chaotic emotions um, and a desire to bring order to that because you're noticing that there's a breakdown there. Um, so what do you do? I feel like my answers are kind of all starting to sound the same, which I hate, but I would want to be curious about why you go so long not giving your emotions space. Like what feels, what feels better, what's working for you about avoiding your emotions? Because it, it is working in some sense, or it, or it did work at some point, and so it became the way you did it. Um, and that's why so many people go to counseling, right? It's like, what worked for me is now like kicking my ass, and so like I've got to like change. Um, but yeah, I'd want to be curious about like why, why it's working. What's working about it? Because um, you don't... You know, I said I'm a mother of a toddler. Like, we're born being very emotionally connected and not stuffing our emotions. 
And so somewhere along the way, and all of our stories, right, not just yours, like in all of our stories, we learned, like, I can't feel here, or I can't feel this. Um, I can feel this, but in this context, or feeling all of these things at once feels very cathartic or powerful or whatever. Um, and so I just want to be curious about what, when that broke down and, and um, what it's doing for you. And then once you do that, like, just finding some sort of rhythm, whether that be like, I mean, I have some clients that are like, they look at a feelings wheel every day because they're like, I have just not done this for so long in my life that I won't do it unless I have like something to look at. Um, or even just like challenging yourself to share and check in weekly at small group or with friends or journaling every day um, or praying with God, like help me be present and help me connect to what I'm feeling and, and naming it is really powerful. I hope that helps. I don't know how to word this really. Um, it's kind of a stupid question, but uh, it's not actually. But, uh, Thank you. It's about questions, though. I feel like I feel like just watching, you know, what you're doing. Um, I know you're a professional, but I feel like sometimes in my relationships, I lack like a questioning power, almost mm. like like an ability to at least hit. Like a, I'm very vulnerable with people, but mm -hmm. I. Yeah, I, I feel like I lack the other side of that to like mm. kind of root out other people, not like a bad way, but just to yeah. be closer with my roommates, be closer with my close friends because, you know, they invest in me in, mm -hmm. in ways that I'm not able to for them. So I, yeah. I guess my question is, how do you create questions that are for myself or for other people that are more than just like baseless or situational or mm. you know, maybe just matter of fact in the moment. Yeah. yeah, that's really sweet. I really like that. Um, what's working for you? Like, like what promptings are happening that allow you to be vulnerable? Uh, I, I don't, I'm an extrovert, so I just feel like, it, it, I wouldn't say it's forced, mm. but I feel like I, my energy, mm -hmm. it, it kind of routes it to a way where I can share my vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, and you feel comfortable doing that. Like, yeah. it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like right here. If someone like asks, like, how are you doing? You're there. It doesn't scare me. I like that. Um, yeah, it's just a... So how do you draw that out in other people? Yeah. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. I love that desire. Um, One, I'll go back to something that I said earlier, which is it's your job to be like curious and present enough and safe enough that people can choose to share if they want to share. So, you know, being fully there when you're there, asking good questions like, how are you actually doing? How's your family? What's been on your mind? I trust that you you know your relationships enough to know like specific things that might be going on. Um, but if you're curious and kind and safe and present, 
That's all you can do. Other people have to be willing to meet you in that. Because what you're saying is like, if people ask, I'm going to be vulnerable. Like that's like, that's so great. That's so healthy. Um, but not everyone's like that. Not like to, you know, criticize or anything like that. Like we get there honestly. But if people aren't ready to share, there's no amount of curiosity or kindness or safety that's going to make them. Which is kind of a discouraging answer. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Mm. I just don't, you know, I don't know what to say to get them to like put that switch of like mm. that full camaraderie and looking forward to them. Yeah. Um, which is okay. Have you shared that with them? Uh, no, because I'm, I'm slightly intimidated by them. Um, There's a lot of dynamics. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's, Thanks. Your desire is really beautiful. I like that. I hope that. I hope that ends up happening. Yes? Um, would you say there's such a thing as having too many friends? I'm an introvert, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My personal opinion or professional opinion? Oh, Brandon asked the follow-up, she says. Uh, I was also kind of pondering the same thing, but more like... Good thing y'all are getting married. Yeah, more, more along the lines of like, if, if you go too far, can that spread yourself in? Kind of. Like, if you're like, oh, I'm, you know, just um, 12 people, like, like, mm-hmm. how, like, what's too much in, like, in terms of, like, vulnerability? Like, is it, is there, like, a magic number? Or, like, what's, the magic? <laughs> what's the magic number? Mine is, like, four. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's so many questions within that question. Like, are you talking, like, same level of depth with every single person? Like, that's, you can't have that with 20 people. But they're, like, there are rings to relationships. And so I think you, you know. We instinctively know when we feel, like, unbalanced. And so when you start to feel like, oh, gosh, like, too many people want too many things for me or I'm burned out or I feel like I never get to rest and you feel like the thing that's causing that is by being around people too much, then that's how you, you just kind of have to feel it and feel when you go too far, and then that's how you learn. Um, but yeah, I think that there's definitely, a, you're definitely able to have too many relationships. I just don't know what that number is for each of us. Yeah. Going off of that, how do you discern what is like almost boundaries in taking care of yourself and prioritizing that and like, what's the line between that and being like, oh, this is toxic? Like, not like you want to label it as that, but mm-hmm. you can almost justify that as being like, oh, there are so many people that I can connect with, mm-hmm. and I should just like ditch those people. But what's the line, and like, how do you discern what's worth like giving yourself to? Yeah, because we can't be all things to all people, and I'm not up here saying like be Jesus with. 20 friends like that's not real um I think it's it's a lot easier to do when you're like forming meeting new people and you kind of get a sense of like hey there's something here like we connect I feel drawn to them and I want to press into relationship or like I mean I've only been in Nashville for a year and I'm still meeting new people and I think it's totally fine I mean I hope it is I do it all the time I'm just like that's not 
this isn't it. You know what I mean? Like, we're not going to be close. Um, not because, like, they're not wonderful. I'm just like, you know, like, there's compatibility in, in relationships. It gets a lot more complicated when it's people that have been in your life in a, for a long time and you have a lot of depth and history. And then you decide, like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, because I, I really, like, obviously, once again, we can't be friends with people forever. So is it like a natural, I'd want to ask myself, like, is this a natural phasing out? Or is this, there's anger and resentment and bitterness, and I just want to be done. Um, and sometimes that me- does still mean phasing out, but sometimes it means, like, leaning in and having honest, hard conversations. I mean, there, I've, I'm rambling at this point, but I've been in relationships that I've been like, it's, we've both just brought too much baggage that we've lovingly had to say, like, we, we can't do this anymore. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I find myself being, like, very, like, tolerant in certain relationships. Wait, could you say that again? I don't think he's right, but... Um, I heard tar. I'm so sorry. Oh, taller. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so sorry. It's me. It's not you. Like, sometimes when relationships get very, like, one-sided, because I don't know how to confront the other person in yeah. the relationship. Because uh, I'm just accepting, and a lot of times, sometimes, even when I think she say something, I boil it, boil it down in my head to, like, they're just working on themselves, and it's not a reflection of me. But I feel like then that slowly leads over time to relationships, like, not a lot of boundaries. Yeah. I've seen that ruin some relationships, and sure. I don't want to ruin others because I know there's mutual respect, but it's still, like, it's out of line. How do you have those uh, confrontational conversations? Have you ever had them? Well, I've tried to, Yeah. I think. Um, but I think... I don't really know how to express that because then I, mm. I think sometimes I feel guilty having these conversations when I even need to. Oh, wow. Yeah. How do they go? Oh, I'm so sorry. We're not in counseling. <laughs> I'm like, let's do this. Um, yeah, how do they go? A lot of times they're understanding, but I also feel like I pull way too, too early. I only say part of what I need to say, and then I feel like it slowly reverts back to sometimes this scenario. So you'll, you'll, there are times when, so you're kind of noticing a little bit of people pleasing and like a lot of like humility and forgiveness too, not just people pleasing. I'm not trying to brand you. Yeah, a lot of forgiveness. A lot of forgiveness, yeah. Uh, not really going in the way that people please, like mm. not for myself, but sometimes, yeah, I, I take a little too much and I feel like I shouldn't. And then when you, when you do address it, you'll like muster up the, the courage to address it. Yeah. So I don't want to offend them because I realize it's not out of like, uh, I kind of rationalize in my head sometimes because it's not like an evil spot. They're just kind of confused and sometimes yeah. like I rationalize it and I feel bad for them. So maybe that's when the people pleasing something. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, if you were to call me out, I think I would be like, this was awesome. <laughs> like, Hearing you talk, I'm like, you're probably so kind and gracious when you're like, hey, this hurt my feelings. Um, and so your question was like, what do I do? Yeah, I, essentially. I don't know how to have this hard conversation because it's 
I think a lot of times, yeah, it's just like in the moment with it, I let it slide by. Yeah. And then there's a lot of things I let slide by. And it's like, yeah, just how do you have those hard confrontational uh, conversations with people when they're respecting the relationship? Yeah. Yeah. I would want to, I would hope for you that you would do a lot of work internally before you have those conversations. Because it sounds like you're pretty self-aware. Like, I, I'm hurt. I'm noticing our relationship is declining. The respect is, is slipping away. Um, and so I would want to do a lot of, like, reflecting and praying and having other people, like, speak into the nervousness and the, the tendency to just let things slide by for the sake of the relationship. Because I think that, yeah, there's like, you're losing yourself there. Because you have needs and desires, and people do hurt. Um, yeah, so I would want to challenge yourself to have those relationships before you do, like, being really careful and thinking, what do I need in this relationship? What is going to be my temptation? My temptation is going to be to just be like, oh, no worries. Like, forget about it. Um, and not letting yourself do that. And if you do, like, circle back and be like, hey, I know we had this conversation, but I'm just really trying to, like, work on being honest and repairing well. Um, yeah. Because you don't want to just, like, enter in and then have all these dynamics play out that you, you regularly do. I'd want you to be really thoughtful about it before you went in and prayerful. So being like a lot more thoughtful with the conversation before you have it and like knowing what you want to say. Yeah. Like what do I want out of this conversation? What are some things that I for sure want to say? I'm gonna ask another question then. Because I, I feel like I will do that, but then when I take that time to sit and reflect, because I've been doing a lot of that. Um, I find myself talking myself out of it. And how do you keep that from happening? Because if you sit down, if you think about it, I again rationalize. The more I sit down with those feelings, I rationalize it. And, make, and then, if that makes any, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but the more I sit down in it, then that's when I talk myself out of having those hard conversations. Yeah. I to make myself that it might not have to happen, and then later realize it should happen, and then now we're from too far sometimes. Yeah. I would want you, you've been thoughtful, you've brought other people into it, you've tried again and circled back. It sounds like your work might be sitting down with a counselor, a friend, a, a pastor, whoever, a trusted person, and sort of diving into like, why, am, why do other people get to take up so much more space than I do? Like, why do other people's feelings, why do other people's hurts or discomforts matter more than my own? Which is a hard thing to enter into, but worth it. Yeah. You got time for one more? Sure. Yeah. I'm not going to ask. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this will be the last. Okay. I'll piggyback off of those. Um, I'll give you a little hypothetical. Maybe this is a beginner question for everybody but me. Uh, I am more of a person that will want to get through whatever something 
whatever the uh, battle is between a friend and really confront it and get through it, knowing that mm. we're going to get somewhere, so we be in the middle. But uh, sometimes some people don't like that, and yeah. they don't time. And mm. uh, but I, I'm like, let's get through this because that's what we can get back on and say, hey, we did it. So um, mm. I think I have, I have another addition to this. Especially if I'm working with somebody has or working through something with somebody who has anxiety or depression, mm -hmm. uh, it's easy to see them as they have this "what was me" attitude, mm. um, and they very well might have it and have some things to work on. But I guess how do I have patience, making sure we're working and growing through something, but also I'm not letting it slide. Uh, and giving up on, or get saying depression or anxiety is an excuse to not work through something. There were like three questions in that question. Yeah. Can you clarify which one feels most important? Yeah. Uh, is it the anxiety one, or is it the what do I do when I have different needs and someone else in conflict? I think it's when they don't want to work to mm -hmm. through something as quick as I do. Do they want to work, or do they not want to? Uh, that's a great question. Well, I would say no. They don't want to work on it, but you do? Yeah. Oh, that's tough. So what do you do when there's... You're both, you both have things, yeah. Right. So what do you do when there's rupture and you're the type of, type of guy who likes to just deal with it? I'm, I'm hearing you say like, own my own stuff, apologize, and also wanting the other person to own their stuff. Because um, that's ideal. But they don't want to work through it. I think I would just say, have you talked to them about that? Like, there are things happening in our relationship that aren't good. And I want to repair, and I, I feel like you're, you don't want to, and you don't care to. And I don't know how to move forward in the relationship. Or this is what I would say. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But if someone's not willing to own their stuff, I, I mean, I would just be honest. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to, how to keep growing and... and um, continuing to build trust and safety if you're not willing to step in and own your stuff. And I like being honest about your need for that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for asking. Thanks, y'all. Let's do it.